So let's talk about magic. We can dicker on the exact rules if you like. There are all sorts of grimoires and cryptonomicons. I've got an AD&D manual somewhere. At the core, though, magic is taking a thought and making it real. Taking a lie and making it the truth. Telling a story to the universe so utterly cosmically perfect that for a single shining moment, the world believes a man can fly. Loki Laufeson. Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to New Byland, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our residents is to lay down a fundamental understanding of a geeky concept for a newcomer before sending them on their way into the wild world of nerdery. Our subject this time around is curious about magic in the Marvel Universe. Professor Z, what's our lesson today? Literally everything. <laughs> this is our intro episode. This is... This is a summary of everything. Um, hi guys, welcome to New Byland. Yes, New Byland. I I'm prepared for this. <laughs> this one's not uh, general nerdy. <laughs> we are your professors ZNT, or more specifically, I'm Zach Johnson. I'm Tyler Reese. And with our subject for I almost said today because I'm used to doing other podcasts, we'll talk about that. We have uh, for the season Mackenzie Miller. Pleasure to be here. That's Mac. I mean, I guess I could call him Mackenzie, but I've never once done it before, so I'm just going to Don't imagine start it's now. not happening. <laughs> uh, in the off chance that you haven't found us from our other podcasts, we also run uh, General Nerdery and... Fried Squirms. And Word Balloons. It'll be out by the time this That's comes. That's true. Out. Yep. Uh, we're part of the Earverm Network. Hopefully you know that in the intro. probably has all of those things. Or the little summary. Whatever. Something will. Somewhere. It's there. Tyler, where did this podcast come from? I don't know how to do intro episodes. I'm realizing this now. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> this episode, well, this episode, this podcast is uh, the closest thing that we have time in our lives to do to the original idea before we did General Nerdery. The idea was, I mean, the idea is pretty close to what it is. We, we got someone who was interested in a nerdy thing, in this case, our uh, McElroy here. I shouldn't use McElroy. That's not his name, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, uh, and he's like, I want to know more about how magic works in the Marvel Universe. I'm like, well, we do we have a podcast for you? Um, we had already talked about doing one that was a little bit more of a teaching pod, uh, a little bit more of just us spewing facts forth at people. Uh, the original idea was going to be to have multiple people mm -hmm. a season sort of against each other, leveling up in their perspective uh, ideas. It's like a battle royale. Kind of. But that requires... Time. Not ever. real jobs to be had. <laughs> Four other podcasts that I'm on for some bizarre reason. It would also require, uh, like, coordinating the schedules of, like, two extra people on top of nope. this. Which is nope. terrible. Nope, 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 nope. But... The concept here, we have an entire, I think, 30-episode season for you. The whole thing will cover magic in the Marvel Universe. Uh, the goal is to, as much as possible, make every episode a standalone episode about a specific part. 
Doctor Strange, the Ghost Rider, Damien Hellstorm, Hellstrom, son of Satan. Oh, fun. <laughs> Who has the best name and the least interesting comic book I have possibly ever read in my life. We'll get there. We'll get there. That's not this episode. This first episode will cover a general overview of magic, things that might not come up in the specific episodes, but matter in the overall how magic works, as well as introducing us, as we have said. And it will also cover a few things that will hopefully be getting Patreon-exclusive episodes, but we don't have Patreon at the time that we're recording this, so I cannot tell you when those are coming out. That's true. We're working on it, guys. Um, also, especially with this subject, I, it should be pointed out that uh, actually a character in Doctor Strange, The Oath, puts it best. In magic, there are no rules. Anything that we say and can throw out there on most subjects when it comes to comics to begin with, but especially so in magic, might not apply depending on who's writing it. We're trying to go for more of a general how it's usually used. Yep. There tend to be, like, rough rules. Magic has a price, you know, like the most overused magic concept ever made. But this is over the course of, God, Marvel Comics started in... Marvel Comics number one launched in August of 1939. Jeez. So, and we have stuff from that comic in here. So we have 80 years of history and sometimes conflicting stories and stuff that makes no sense and stuff they never talked about again and things that became, like, hardcore canon. So as much as possible, we'll make it cohesive, but if you go, well, actually, in uh, uh, Doctor Strange 255, one, I do not care. I do not care what specific issue this thing came out in for the most part. Two, maybe in Doctor Strange 256, they said a completely different thing. I am very confrontational right here. That is not <laughs> intentional, guys. Uh, the point is, is that with good enough writing, you can always break rules anyway, and that goes doubly so for magic. Mm-hmm. And doubly so for comics. We're like a quad here. Yeah, at least. <laughs> uh, every episode, the first part, we will cover a general history in-universe as much as possible of whatever concept we're working on. Part two, we will uh, talk about a specific comic that we have read to kind of get the best idea across. Uh, as much as possible, they will be on the Marvel Unlimited... Unlimited? Unlimited. Uh, Marvel Unlimited app which has, like, 20,000 comic books on it. So there's a good chance it will be there. Uh, we're trying to make them as accessible as we can. Mm -hmm. uh, and we will make sure to give, not this week because I haven't figured it out yet, but as much as possible, uh, what next episode's required reading will be. Absolutely. So if you want, you can, you know, read ahead. We want to be as helpful as possible for all of you. And unlike our other shows, well my other shows at least, we will be doing this one clean, so expect a few bleeps as I have a filthy mouth. Oh, I am not good at it either. This is my second <laughs> podcast where I'm supposed to swear, and I'm not sure how to do that. Like, at all. Matt's here. Matt can be fine. Um, we will also cover movies. You know, when uh, Doctor Strange, blah, 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 do a few episodes on that. And then Doctor Strange the movie. At that point, Professor T will take over as the main talkie talk guy because he actually knows these things and I watched some of them. It'll be a learning experience for me too on that front. <laughs> Two noobs. 
all three of us will be learning because I'm going to be figuring out what I'll be saying at the time. <laughs> uh, yep. Welcome to a podcast that's ne- the, never had an episode recorded before. It's an experience for everybody. Uh, what are we going into now as far as this intro one, though? So, said this will be a general overview of the world of magic. Forgive us if this is super scattered uh, for all the reasons that we super, er, already discussed. Even though we said there are no real rules of magic, there are a few things that have been revealed about origins of magic and basic costs of magic that tend to just be generally accepted at this point. Magic first originated in the fifth cosmos. Uh, that's a very confusing sentence. So... I think I heard somebody saying that on the street corner the other day. Yes, I'm sure. That's just, you know, <laughs> what time is it? Am I going to be late for the game? Magic originated in the fifth cosmos. I'll uh, see you for dinner. Yeah, exactly. The In the sixth cosmos. The basic idea is that, you know, we in theory there was a universe before the Big Bang. Big Bang, Big Crunch... Think of it like a heartbeat. With each new cosmos that comes forward, we're, we, collective, you know, finger quotes, we, that you guys can't see, because audio formats, Zach, are in either the seventh or the eighth cos- cosmos at this point. But every time the universe, like, was recreated, new parts of it were entered into how things work. Mm. So magic first appears in the fifth cosmos. The basic rule of it is that you borrow power that you will then repay later. Magic has a cost. You can do magic from your own source, you know, but there's a reason why you'll hear Doctor Strange by the hoary host of Hogoth, by the crimson gems of Psych... Sidorak. Sidorak. I have never once known how to pronounce that. We are guessing. Yeah, that's how it always looked to me as Sidorak. Sitorak was what I go with, you know, it, it's... Ooh, Sitorak. Sitorak's pretty good, yeah, too. Yeah, Sitorak's uh, really good. Uh... <laughs> Because it is much easier to borrow that magic than it is to just do it yourself. These people are known as principalities, which is, I believe, an angel. Like, it's a Bible angel term. It's a level, Mm -hmm. uh, like, rank of angel. Well, because Aziraphale is a principality. From Good Omens. That's where I first heard about it. There are, in theory, they appeared in a recent Mark Mark Wade Doctor Strange run, a group known as the Auditors, who literally will make you pay if you don't, and cut you off if you don't pay your bills. So Space IRS? They are a collections agency for magic. It's <laughs> awesome. Oh, and this is why I'm more of like the assistant professor, because that sounds awesome and I need to read it. I, but your I face it lit up. It lit up. That's such a good idea. It's so good. Such a good idea. Um... Sources of magic generally come from a few different sources. First, personal energy, as we discussed. I am taking power from myself to do this thing. Energy around you. Elemental magic. You know, I am pulling up the rocks. I am stealing the power from the earth. I am taking the power from the water to do this. Uh, Very powerful, somewhat risky, and relatively difficult. It tends to be, think more like a druidic magic in D&D. Would necromancy fall under that? They tend to borrow from, like, demons and... I almost swore there. Demons and stuff? Stuff is the word. Um, <laughs> being that's the sort of thing I tend to read a little bit more, I would say usually it, it would har- it'd be hard to do that elementally. Mm. Um, 
if it is done elementally, it's because it's worked into uh, like a specific either real world or made up religion that also uses those elements in some ways. They in uncomfortably which, steal from voodoo a lot. Let's get that out there. Yes. In, which in, case, <laughs> it, in which case it it still ends up being more of either uh, divine or like from like a, a host of some kind, a principality mm -hmm. of some kind, even if it starts in one sense. Mm. And it still tends to be powered a lot by uh, either self-power or from some sort of sacrifice. Or like anger. Yeah. Because like in Diablo 3, it's like a force of nature. It's like a balancing force that they use for the necromancer class there. Mm. So I was wondering if that... Oddly, necromancers don't come up a ton in not comic really. books. Um, <laughs> Due to not being able to for a long time. Yes, there is a thing called the Comic Code Authority. Well, there's not anymore, which is great because, not swearing, the Comic Code Authority... It was a self-created kind of comic rating, what you can and can't talk about in comic books, that came out after there were con congressional hearings during the Red Scare about how comics were destroying our youth. <laughs> and they largely used it to destroy the largest name in the comic industry by being like, oh, you basically can't tell horror comics. You can't mention vampires, you can't mention zombies, you can't mention werewolves and... EC was like, hey! It's um, like everything we put out. Like, no. <laughs> we came uh, for you. Fun thing is, we will be talking about all of those things in here, but for the first like decade or so, these weren't things you talked about. To the point that Marvel came up with the term Zuvembi to get around zombie. Impressive. Terrible. Yes. <laughs> it's <laughs> just a bad name in the first place. But yeah, there's not many necromant now that I'm, I'm trying to think of someone who's like primary thing for being known as is raising the dead and i don't i remember in hastings i saw like a comic series where like this guy was raising dead heroes to fight living heroes and that looked pretty interesting like i saw a dead spider-man at one point like fighting a dead probably Batman. marvel zombies which was an alternate universe where a zombie plague hits it was pretty uh um, crazy they have Dead heroes have been brought back multiple times. Uh, there's an entire Avengers villain team called the Legion of the Unliving. That's just people brought back from death and forced to fight. Oh, my Legion of the Unliving. <laughs> <laughs> I summon thee. Other ways that you can, you know... Perform magic. Perform magic. That's what we're doing here. Uh, other dimensional energy, or often entities from that other dimension. When we say other dimensions, we mean things like hell, or heaven would count the nine realms of Asgard, uh, ten in the Marvel Universe, because a different version of heaven to fit in Angela. Uh, the dark dimension would count as that. I was about to say, uh, comic side... Even though in the grand scheme of things, it's called cosmic horror, things that are very Lovecraftian would be other dimensional in the realm of comics rather than cosmic. Mm -hmm. Which I'm over all over Lovecraft, personally. Uh, we should also say there is a kind of cosmic area of comic books. Um, I tend to put comic books on kind of two axes. There is magic... And there is science on one axis, and there is cosmic, 
and there is street on the other axis. Think of it as like an x-axis, y-axis. And not everything is in like one specific spot. Like the Fantastic Four tends to deal with a lot of cosmic stuff, but it's also very science-based. Mm -hmm. Adam Warlock does a whole bunch of cosmic stuff. There's no real science even pretending to be behind Adam Warlock. No. Or, you know, Spider-Man is kind of a more street level, but definitely science. There are others that will come up. Ghost Rider might be street level, but is definitely in the magic side of things. Uh, Thor has a tendency to stray towards cosmic at times. Yep. He hangs out pretty firmly in the cosmic. You know, cosmic doesn't necessarily mean off Earth. It means... Um, Celestial beings and gods? Yeah, greater powers. Not just... It's vaguely related to power level. Yeah. Uh, it is all really vague because it turns out comic books are really vague. And that's just my own personal... Like, mm -hmm. there, there's no rule on that. Beyond other dimensional energy, which we should say other dimensions and other universes in the multiverse are different. Doesn't make sense, but it's there. Uh, the multiverse, if you've ever seen Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, you have a basic idea of how that rolls. You know, Miles comes from one universe, Gwen comes from the other, yada, yada, yada. But each one of those universes in the multiverse will likely have their own hell, will likely have their own dark dimension. So, you know what? I don't have an allegory for this one. It's confusing. That's where it is. Yeah. Other universes Current might be, like, to the left, and, like, hell would be, like, below? I don't know. There's been nothing lately to change us from being 616 currently, right? They, for primary? Marvel editors keep trying, and Marvel writers keep ignoring them. Okay, good. Because uh, I kind of like that. It's I, very unique. I love it. So, real quick. DC tends to organize their universes as Earth-1, Earth-2, Earth-3, um, I believe it was Alan Moore in Captain Britain, but it could have been someone earlier than that. I was like, man, it doesn't make sense that it's always like Earth-1. Like, this is the Earth. So they listed it as Earth-616. As just a throwaway idea, no one's going to care. Marvel writers obsessively use this. <laughs> and anytime they're like, Earth-616 has been destroyed. because uh, That's the big deal. Joe Casada, who <laughs> was editor-in-chief and I believe is now chief creative officer, really hates the 616 idea. Oh, really? I he didn't know He does that. not like it. He keeps being like, no, this is the Marvel Universe. And everyone's like, Earth 616, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> so I think he's just given up. Uh, he tried to make a lot of claims of things he didn't like don't exist anymore, and everyone just straight up ignores him. So whenever it's Earth 616, that is what you would think of as being primary Marvel Universe. Our, Our universe, yeah. for lack of a better... Mm -hmm. like, um, All right. Everything else is kind of just an offshoot. Yeah. As uh, far as the main storytelling is concerned. Yeah. The, the Ultimate line, which existed for a long time mm -hmm. and was a huge publishing initiative, probably their most successful side one, uh, was, I believe, 1610. Like, I think that's right. Uh, something yeah. along those lines. Like, see, it's close, but it's not... I knew I was going to get all distracted on this episode. Other uh, other sources of magic. Items imbued with power, such as the Wand of Watum, the Crimson Gem of Cytorak. The same thing is dealing with Watum or Cytorak, but the power has been invested into this item itself, as opposed to having to 
go to Cytorak. It might cost less to use that item as opposed to drawing directly. Like Hitler's handgun. Hitler's handgun, which will come up in the thing, yes. Also, for example, Doctor Strange uses the Eye of Agamotto, which, unlike in the movie, is not a Infinity Stone. We'll talk right. about that when we get to the movie episode, but it is a relic item of, in its own right. It has all sorts of weird kind of cool powers. The Cloak of Levitation, I don't know who powered that one. That's probably an old Sorcerer Supreme itself. Those are, so, personal energy, energy around you, other dimensional energy, and items imbued with power tend to be the standard ways to uh, get power. We should also say, even though it tends, we always tend to focus on magic based on Earth, it is not a purely Earth-based thing. There is entire planets that are primarily magic-based as opposed to science-based. In a Guardians of the Galaxy comic, the old-school Guardians of the Galaxy, so it was like a far-future comic, uh, there was a Sorcerer Supreme who had the Eye of Agamotto and the Cloak of Levitation named, I think, Krugar? Who was a snake man. Mm -hmm. uh, from a different... He actually appears in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 very briefly. I loved it. It made me so happy. So there are multiple types of mortal magic users. You know, not Cytorak, not Watu. Uh, a sorcerer or witch, which are just your standard spellcaster. The difference in the name appears to be largely preference. Uh, there are plenty of people who call themselves witches. I don't know how that magic is different than, say, Doctor Strange, who calls himself a sorcerer. It seems to largely be preference and kind of gender-based. And as we get into the story that we actually wrote, as it keeps creeping in a little bit, Doctor Strange does point out in the oath that he practices witchcraft, but he calls himself a sorcerer. Um, it is not the same universe, but uh, Discworld has a separate use a, yeah. of it. And in that one, and I'm just going to say it here because I kind of like the difference. It, it, it makes sense to me. Witches tend to use much more kind of nature magic, magic around them while sorcerers are drawing from, like, other dimensional powers and stuff like that much more. Mm -hmm. uh, direct spell slinging as opposed to just kind of manipulation of events. Witchcraft in Marvel tends to be much closer to dark magic a lot of the times. Not all of the time, but you're more likely to... more likely to be darker and more likely to require, like, spell ingredients. Like, in D&D... You know, oh, I've, I I need these things to cast Fireball, as opposed to Sorcerer, who's like, yes! Blinky, blinky, go boom! <laughs> My father was a dragon, now I can make Fireballs. Uh, any form of thaumaturgy is a lot more likely to be labeled as witchcraft yes. in the Marvel Universe. Body augmentation. So a natural ability expanded upon uh, the Juggernaut from X-Men mm -hmm. is a great example. Everyone thinks he's a mutant. He's actually powered by the Crimson Gem of Cytorak. I promise not every episode will I find excuses to say Cytorak as much as I have. <laughs> I literally have nowhere else to talk about this. I'm really um, glad that we've landed on Cytorak over my original Cytorak. Like, I feel like I would trip Cytorak. Um, King Marco is made into the unstoppable juggernaut. He becomes, he can't cast spells. He does not work. But he becomes a ridiculously overpowered muscle 
Tank, 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 tank. Yes, tank, tank for days. Uh, Shadowrun is actually a system that I think of that a lot. If you ever played the old Shadowrun tabletop game, where there were magic used that were actively and passively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then possession. So a magical being, often a demon, although not always, will take uh, take control of a body or merge with the body. The amount of self-control the character has varies, and not just between characters, but between issues. Because first and foremost, it's what's the best comic story. Mm. For example, uh, the Ghost Rider... It, it varies who's possessing them. It was originally the demon Zarathos. A lot of times now it is the spirit of vengeance. There's, of course, Eli Morrow, which is a whole different thing. It, it gets very confusing. <laughs> we will possibly do a two-parter for Ghost Rider because there's been many Ghost Riders. Oh, so many Ghost Riders. And they're all very good. Except for the Leprechaun. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, but sometimes it's Zarathos in control. Sometimes it's Johnny Blaze in control. Sometimes the Ghost Rider sends almost as like a combination of the two. Sometimes they're tag teaming, basically. Throughout yes, the whole exactly. thing. Like, I'm going to be better in this moment. I'm going to be better in this moment. Um, and I tend to think of it not just as the writer needed it for this storyline, but as an actual competition in the body going on. Mm -hmm. Magic can be a learned skill or inherited. So Doctor Strange learned all of his things. Damien Hellstrom, the son of Satan, most of his power comes from the fact that, that he is the, the son, son of Satan. Satan. Pretty big title. Yes. And originally it was actually Satan. And then they decided that they couldn't decide which Hell Lord was the lead one. So they came up with an actual one for him. But they never yeah, changed the that's name. that's right. Uh, they just went with, I mean, it's so good. It is straight up. The Exorcist was really popular. So, and so was Ghost Rider. And so was the so, Omen. <laughs> and the Omen, yeah. There are multiple types. I should have numbered these out. I did not. Types of magic beings. First one being gods. Uh, pretty much all pantheons are real. And somehow all origin stories are true simultaneously. Like multiverse simultaneously? Or like in one existence simultaneously? It's complicated? So I'll take that as a yes. Mm. Um, you know, they... <laughs> I will, you know what, eventually we'll talk about it some in one of the Thor episodes, and if you're interested enough, I do have some great recommendations. Jason Aaron goes into that a little bit okay. with um, his Thor run, and it's not a lot of bit, but you get enough that you sort of innately understand it a little bit better. Just like intuitively? <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Think of it like this. Stories have power. Stories shape reality, uh, especially for someone like gods who are powered on belief. So like Thor, pantheons. or so Hercules, remembers being in the Battle of Troy. But there is also kind of that historical, the, the two facts kind of exist simultaneously. And when asked to explain, Hercules is like, I've done many great things and moves on, partly because Hercules is a dipstick. <laughs> Gods exist in a very weird way, basically. Mm. Um, their existence, especially in the Marvel Universe, is a bit more defined by the fact that they are physical representations. Of a but they're not purely physical representations, and they're, they are structured by belief as well. Got it. Uh, in the J.M. Straczynski Thor run, which started really good, like one of the best Thor runs, and then just got confused and left, which is too bad. 
there is the line, it is not up to gods whether humans exist, it's up to humans whether gods exist. I like that. But how much it matters is a real big thing. And even this is variable. Sometimes gods like the Asgardians are treated as just another alien race. Other times they're actual beings of magic. I kind of put the answer somewhere in between because, as I mentioned before, they're not mutually exclusive. So it's whatever works best for your story at the time. Also existing are demons, and this is to the point that they have three classes of demons, because Marvel had this book called Who's Who of the Marvel Universe that would entirely existed to be really weirdly detailed about things. Class 1 demons are Elder Gods or the spawn that come from them. Cthulhu, the great old ones from H.P. Lovecraft. All amazing. And Cthulhu spawn that are brought up in um, At the Mountains of Madness. All the fun stuff? Uh, For the most part, they don't use Cthulhu himself, but uh, something like Shogoth or... It's always very obvious. Yes, they're not (laughs) hiding it. But when they were first introducing these characters, I don't think... Uh, Lovecraft was into the public domain yet, so they had to take the idea, but do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And it like, weirdly works with the mythos. Like That's basically how it exists anyways. Yeah. It's just insanity. It's always through. really obvious, though. You're yeah. like, oh, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> um, I know who you're talking about. I don't care it. what this name is. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you see the it's face. tentacles and beaks <laughs> and like one eye and it's things are coming off of Cosmic it. You insanity. know exactly what that is. That's the crawling chaos. That's gross. That's the um, yellow. <laughs> class two of demon is some uh, denizens of hell. Uh, the hell lords who will be the most powerful ones, the you know, dukes of hell. Uh, some of these are fallen angels. Some of them are just reside in hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not a biblical scholar by any pretense of the imagination, so I don't know if in actual Christian theology they all came from heaven and went down, or if, you know, the originals came from heaven and went down and more demons came spawned later. from there. But in the Marvel Universe, that sure seems to be how it works. And then class three is the classic other category of we don't know where to put these, but they're demons. So they're just other dimensional beings. They might come from the dark dimension, but still could be. And any time anytime a writer uses a dark entity from a non-Judeo-Christian background, Oftentimes. it tends to be an mm-hmm. other demon. Uh, others, like a species of... Creatures like Dormammu from the Doctor Strange movie, Dormammu and his sister Umar are getting the whole episode, will sometimes be qualified as demons, sometimes not, so they tend to fall under class three. Sometimes he's listed as a hell lord. Dormammu's soup's confusing. We'll get to that someday. For some reason, old ones are sometimes also listed as not demons, but just old ones in their own right. Because again, comics aren't great at always specific classification. And I think that's part of also the fact that they stray into cosmic territory. Mm-hmm. Very often. Uh, the Lords of Fairy, and just fairies in general, definitely come up. In theory, they're just other other dimensional beings, but they tend to come from very specifically fairy and otherworld. Mm-hmm. British comics cannot stop talking about them. Uh, they tend to actually be better classified than most, because 
for the most part, there is a general rule of fairy and Arthurian legend, and just lump all of that together, bam, you have the Lords of Fairy. Mm-hmm. Plus, you always get the, well, Shakespeare mentioned fairies. Yep. And then, of course, there is, once again, the other category. We don't know where to put these, but they sure exist. Probably the most important title in magic in the Marvel Universe is the Sorcerer Supreme. Which is kind of silly, but... I love it. It's such great classic Stanley alliteration. Um, I like it because of that reason. Sorcerer Supreme sounds like I'm ordering off a Taco Bell menu. Exactly. Or like I ordered a pizza. <laughs> That's like what I thought when I first heard the name. So what do you think of the idea of there might be a Scientist Supreme? I mean, does that one come with extra salsa? Well, it's Hank Pym, so no, it's blamed as all get out. Um, it sounds extra like a... mayo? <laughs> oh, God. White bread! Uh, and even that, no one's sure if it was you're actually the Sorcerer or Scientist Supreme, and that's a thing, or if Loki was messing with you. Because Loki was messing with just about everyone in that comic book. The Sorcerer Supreme, again, varies in what is done, but is generally listed as the most powerful sorcerer or the most knowledgeable knowledgeable sorcerer of their personal realm or dimension. So Doctor Strange is the currently the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth. You look like you're about to burst out laughing. What's going on there, big guy? I was just thinking about in those terms, on the in the distinguished competition, mm-hmm. the Sorcerer Supreme would have to be Constantine, which is hilarious. Or Doctor Fate. It would probably be a split between the two. Because you could have up to two Sorcerer Supremes if one is the most powerful and one is the most knowledgeable. Mm. Sometimes. Other times, the role of the Sorcerer Supreme is listed as, like, just this is, you know, there's one Sorcerer Supreme. They control these things. But being a big Hellblazer fan, I was almost laughing at the fact of how badly Constantine would hate that. It would go <laughs> terribly There's a beep. What's fun is when they're talking about there could be two positions, that same source immediately, like the next sentence, counters itself by talking about a time that the Sorcerer Supreme was a group of three people known as the Triumvirate. Mm. And I think Pythagoras was supposed to be one of them. That's Um, funny, too. (laughs) Most of the time, it is of this dimension. Doctor Strange is the most knowledgeable, powerful sorcerer of this dimension, well, theoretically, Clea, his... Clea? Clea? I'm not sure which one it is. C-L-E-A. Ooh, I think it's Clea. Clea. Clea is the Sorcerer Supreme of the Dark Dimension. Other times, it's just, I am the Sorcerer Supreme of, like, my entire part of the multiverse. But for the sake of this, we are going to, partly to make sure Clea gets the respect that she's due, which she never gets, Doctor Strange is... This realm. You know, uh, Clea, that realm. Almost always, the Sorcerer Supreme is held by a mortal. This has, again, also been broken. Loki was briefly the Sorcerer Supreme. He had to do some weird messed up things to make it happen. You should not think of the Sorcerer Supreme as a necessarily moral position. It is they are supposed to guard their part of their realm from 
outside threats. What they do inside their realm is kind of their own damn business. I kind of got that impression after reading the comic book that he he was straight up re- ready to murder people at near the end of that comic book. And if you were in a moral position, that wouldn't have been a question. Well, I mean, even then, you know, for the most part, if Doctor Strange is ready to murder someone, you have made some bad choices, my True. son. <laughs> but like the, the role itself doesn't require you to be a moral person. No, Doctor Doom has often been next in line to be the Sorcerer Supreme. Dear God. Because Doctor Doom, it doesn't come up too ma- uh, often. Doctor Doom has been the Sorcerer Supreme. He is crazy good at magic. He just doesn't use it as much because he is kind of too egomaniacal to really rely on it in the way that you need to, like really give into it. Mm-hmm. Um, the the patrons of the Sorcerer Supreme is a group called the Vishanti. Think the Vishanti. I'm just you know what I'm going to stop saying. I think after everyone the Vishanti. The Vishanti are specifically Agamotto, Ashtur, and Hogoth. According to the legend, Ashtur was the goddess that first created all life. Agamotto was the first Sorcerer Supreme. His origins are really confusing right now because Jason Aaron decided that he did not care about pre-existing uses of Agamotto and was going to do his own damn thing. Uh, originally, he was Agamotto was created from a tier of Ostur about twenty five thousand years ago, maybe mm-hmm. two hundred fifty thousand, somewhere in that range. That's a huge range. Jason Aaron decided that he wanted to do a story that took place in the year one million BC, and he put Agamotto in there. And everyone who pays close attention to this went, "How?" Ever since. Once again, I will say that if you've read his uh, King Thor run, it makes sense with the way he views the way deities work. But also, that story's super good. Yeah, so I don't care. Yeah, but uh, it is it just there are very conflicting sources on Agamotto. Also, whether the eye of Agamotto actually involves his eye is somewhat unclear. I hope it does. I kind of hope it does, too. I do, too. That doesn't make it less unclear or horrific. Maybe because he only seems to have one eye now. Uh, I believe there's been stories that implied that there is a second eye of Agamotto. But... That poor man. No. Hogoth is actually even less described than the other two. Hogoth is another magical being that Oster met up with and decided it'd be great to pal around with. It's thought that he might be one of the old ones because his name ends in off, which is a really common move. Well, and if you add an S to the beginning of it, it becomes Shoggoth, which is straight from At the Mountains of Madness. Mm-hmm. Doctor Strange likes to yell, by the Hori hosts of Hogoth. We looked that up right before this. Hori, which is H-O-A-R-Y, not the bad one. Get, I'm not going to say No bleep this time. Uh, <laughs> um either means old or white. So kind of by the old white hosts uh, is not a great, but sure, it sounds good. Again, that great Stanley alliteration. Uh, It wasn't originally intended this way, but the Cloak of Levitation and the Eye of Agamotto have kind of become the badges of office for the Sorcerer Supreme. I don't know when they first appeared. Earlier Sorcerer Supremes didn't have them. Although, again, Agamotto sure seems to have the Cloak of Levitation in the 1 million BC, Avengers 1 million BC stories. So maybe he made it and then it disappeared. And who knows? 
old school Sorcerer Supremes tended to control for much longer. There are some that were Sorcerer Supreme for like 20,000 years at a time. Others held it for a year or two. You can lose it. Doctor Strange has been, I am no longer the Sorcerer Supremed, like 15 times in the last 60-ish years that he's existed. So he's probably the, by default, he's probably the one that's held it the most times. I mean, I can think of like two or three times that he, just off the top of, just when I was like, what Doctor Strange stories should we do? Almost all of the ones I picked were, I am no longer the Sorcerer Supreme. Partly because it is a really easy, it happens every 10 years or so, because it's a, oh man, we accidentally let Doctor Strange get too powerful again. Let's cut his power in half. <laughs> well, once you're Sorcerer Supreme, as far as the writing side goes, you run into the Superman problem, where it's really easy to make a boring story if you don't know how to challenge that hero properly. Which is why most often Doctor Strange villains are not other sorcerers, but otherworldly beings. Or demons. Or demons. Uh, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. not humans. Uh, to the point that there is a comic where Brother Voodoo is bought, brought in to see if uh, Doctor Strange is cloaking people. And they go, uh, and he's like, I don't sense anything. And they go, are you sure? And he goes, no. Like, <laughs> what? Goes, I'm really good. But we call him the Sorcerer Supreme for a reason. He has access to spells that I've never considered mm -hmm. like beyond my awareness in any way shape or form so beyond just the cloak of levitation the idea of you get access to a whole bunch of powers and a whole bunch of not even powers a whole bunch of knowledge which is the same thing when it comes to magic here's where my notes start to get a little varied one of the major Things that we're going to talk about, but we're hoping to do as a Patreon-exclusive episode, won't be expensive, we promise, I hate expensive Patreons, is a book called The Darkhold. Now, the, it is a book of spells from the Elder God, Cthon. C-T-H-O-N. Not the metal band, Cthon. <laughs> totally not Cthulhu. <laughs> uh, written down before he fled Earth to escape the Demigorge, the God Eater. The first gods of Earth are completely different than Thor or Zeus, even like the All-Fathers, which is, you know, Zeus, Odin, Jupiter. All the bigs. Yeah, the, the, the founder gods. They were the kind of creatures of pure power that existed before mankind existed. So just like environmental gods, basically? Something almost more elemental than that, like okay. gods of power. And then unfortunately, they realized that they could, if they ate each other, like if you like ate that god, you would become more powerful. It also turned you into some of the first demons, some of the first hell lords. <laughs> Interesting. Cthon was not the first one to do this, but he was one of the most powerful. The other gods eventually created the Demigorge to stop him because they were going too far. The Darkhold is rumored to be a source of power for the Necronomicon. In other versions, it is the Necronomicon. And this is one of the ones where the different stories don't bother me so much because it's just different legends about the same book. Oh, I think it's this. Other writings have it as variations of even older writings, like maybe Cthon didn't write this book down. 
he just scrawled all over a cave wall. People found that and turned it into a book like Darkhold. The Darkhold is a source of magic to the point that vampires come from the Darkhold. The magic that first created vampires in the Marvel U is directly traced to the Darkhold. That's insane. There was a book called, or a comic called uh, Darkhold, Pages from the Book of Sin, that was about someone who got a copy of the Darkhold and would like rip pages out of it and give it to people and watch how things went bad. Oh no. What? That's a d- move. Yes. <laughs> also, it seems like a terrible use of the Darkhold to me, but yeah. Also, I, I do want to, as much as Cathan uh, sounds like Cthulhu, there is a word Cathanic, which means uh, pertaining to deities of the underworld. Mm. And that's actually the name of the metal band I was re- referring mm. to. Cathanic? Yeah. Pretty good. Taiwanese black metal? Anyway. That's amazing. I don't even like black metal, and that sounds great. Um, lycanthropy and zombies probably also come from the Darkhold as well. Generally, if bad dark magic comes from it, you can blame the Darkhold. Are werewolves under the servitude of vampires in the Marvel Universe? Some. Some. But it's not specifically like, you are my minions, but... Sometimes vampires make a werewolf work for them. That's uh, they do tend to make those characters fall more into, like, the tropes of vampires being cunning, mm. whereas werewolves are a little bit more brutes. So, like, and so sometimes they end up in the employ simply because they're the hired muscle. Got it. Okay. Things like vampires, werewolves, etc. tend to borrow really heavily from the old Hammer movies. So, you know, Bela Lugosi... Dracula. That's not actually Hammer, I don't think. That's just... No, but that's, no, that's, that's universal. universal. Uh, and, uh, you know, but think of it. Dracula is a major character. Tomb of Dracula was a book that ran for, like, 80 issues. We will have an entire episode devoted to how much I love Tomb of Dracula. The other fun thing is, this is a very confusing part, a lot of Robert E. Howard's Conan and Cole stories are canon in the Marvel Universe. Okay. In the same way that a lot of, you know, classic, like, Ram Stoker's Dracula is real in the Marvel Universe. We meet a descendant of the Hellsings. Uh, and they were all kind of originally intended to be separate universes. The, you know, the Dracula, Tomb of Dracula, Werewolf by Night, they weren't supposed to cross over with the superhero books. But then they realized they could make a lot of money if they did. In the same way, <laughs> Spider-Man meets Conan? Heck yeah, that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Really dumb, but God, I love it. <laughs> um, so all of these cross over. So a lot of the Conan stories and all the rules of magic in Conan also are true in Marvel. The uh, era of Cole, which is known as the Volusian Age and the Conan the Hyborian Age, weren't mentioned for many years because somewhere in the 90s, Marvel lost the rights to the books. And they suddenly went, oh my god, we can't talk about this stuff. So suddenly, vampires, which were first created in the Volusian version of Atlantis, can't be brought up again. Like, not not vampires as a whole, but the origin of vampires can't be brought up again. These stories are largely accurate to the Conan, or to the actual Robert E. Howard books. With a few exceptions for older cosmic stuff that is mentioned in other stories, still counts. So the Celestials, the Eternals, things like that, which have big movies coming out soon, 
also count. So the uh, Atlanteans went to war with the Deviants at one point, which is super weird to me, but I sort of love it. Uh, around this time, the Serpent Crown was created uh, by the Serpent Men, who were, I mean, literal snake dudes from the Conan stories. The Serpent Crown, and there's later uh, the Thorn Crown, and uh, a third one that's never mentioned again, have really vague powers, what they do, but they kind of take over your soul if you put it on, but you do kind of get awesome telepathic abilities to go with it. Eh, you know. Uh, it's a bad choice, but people keep making it for some reason. Sounds like a fun Friday night. <laughs> uh, the biggest villain from this era that stuck with it is a villain named Kulin Gath. He was another Conan... Cole, Storcer, kind of Thulsa Doom or Thothamon, but one that Marvel had the rights to. Mm -hmm. uh, he has primarily been an enemy of Conan, but in the modern age, he faced off with both the Avengers and the X-Men. Some really good stories, some really bad stories. Uh, for most part, you know, a, a time before history is where they talk about. Even today, they're kind of careful about how much they're using those characters in the modern day, other than Conan, who they're using as much as they possibly can. This brings us to our final section, Atlantis, which again is very confusing thanks to the Robert E. Howard stories because Atlantis was sort of Britain in those stories. Mm. Uh, Atlantis was an island of barbarians that... Later, the civilization collapses, and when it comes back, it's kind of the Chimerians, like Conan is. They also have to deal with the fact that Atlantis exists as, you know, the ancient land more advanced than anything they knew in ancient Greek legends, and also the fact that in the very first Marvel comic ever created, Namor of Atlantis, the Fishman, is there. So they have to kind of try and combine these three Atlantises. Their answer is mostly, let's not talk about it that often. <laughs> you know, I would go with that same route because that's confusing. <laughs> uh, in the first great cataclysm in the Howard stories, Atlantis sinks into the ocean. The idea of this is, it, you know, they, they started barbarian in the age of coal. Over the next, like, thousand years or so, they become pretty advanced. It sinks into the ocean. The city is sunk below. Accounts vary on the origins of what is known as Homo Moranus, which is mermaids, merpeople, Namor, for example. It should be pointed out, Namor is a mutant. Half human, half Homo Moranus, and a mutant. Namor is super confusing. I'm kind of <laughs> glad we're not really covering him in this season. Also, he's a He's a giant um, In some versions, Homo Moranus are a different species. They could have come from a different uh, dimension, like a water-based dimension. In some, they were experiments by the Deviants or Celestials. And in some, the god Neptune created them. Possibly as like, oh man, Atlantis is sinking. Let's make some of those people be able to breathe underwater, which is... I don't want them to have to move. DC. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, it is much less clear in this one. I kind of like Neptune being involved in them. They definitely worship Neptune. They are a mostly magic-based society, although they did pick on to uh, technology a little, like, more advanced technology a mm. little earlier than mankind. So they tend to have 
more advanced stuff, but they never have remotely close to the numbers that land dwellers have. Also, there are a bunch of big monsters and stuff under there. I would imagine. Uh, crack Namor's got a horn. The horn of something that he blows on, and monsters appear. Giganto appears a lot. Yes. Giganto? Giganto. What a name. Giganto. Look, man, when comics were first being created, <laughs> they got paid like a buck a page. So you just made <laughs> and figured out what happened afterwards. What was the board mean for that? We need to name that guy Giganto. Oh, it's cute that you think there was a board meeting <laughs> what was going on here. There wasn't an editor half of the time. That's amazing. It's <laughs> just like, we made this. That's great. Just a wild west. <laughs> we drew this. It just needs words. Steve Englehart talks about... Uh, at one point, the Marvel bullpen used to go out on the town in New York in the 70s, take a bunch of acid, watch movies, and then go into the offices on Monday and just see what came out of it. This is why I love nerd culture. <laughs> Doctor Strange got really popular because in the 60s, mushrooms got really popular and Steve Ditko's work is trippy as all get out. So college students would take mushrooms and read Doctor Strange and Stan Lee just took it straight to the bank. <laughs> Good for him. Oh. Last part, monsters. Not just, you know, hammer horror monsters, vampires, whatever, but Monster monsters. Movies. Godzilla actually existed in the Marvel Universe for a while. Mm. Uh, Godzilla's not magic-based, but you get the idea of the kind of kaiju monster that goes mm -hmm. on. Um, because Marvel decided to keep everything canon, in the 50s, they were a company called Atlas before they were Marvel. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest sellers from Atlas was Monster Comics. Thing comes from beneath the ocean and invades. And Marvel decided just to stick with this. Uh, they have an island called Monster Island. It's exactly like it is in the Godzilla movies. It's just where all the kaiju hang out. Why? Who cares? As long as they're there. Yes. We don't want them. We will have episodes about this. The monsters range from magic-based to science-based, but they are there. And honestly, they don't worry too much about it. Groot from Guardians of the Galaxies was originally a monster like this. He was uh, the monarch of Planet X. I've read that story. It's not good. But no. It does not matter because it's Groot! It's, I mean... It's not that it's not good. It's a very standard sci-fi horror from that time period. With very limited on what they could do about it. Mm -hmm. That is what I got. There is all sorts of stuff I missed here. Uh, and you know what? If you have things that you want us to talk about or that we made you miss, and you're like, how? How did you miss that? On one hand, that's just going to happen. There's 80 years of comic books to talk about here. But on the other, let us know. I would love to hear... Oh, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was a good overview. <sighs> I talked long enough. Um, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we are going to talk about Doctor Strange, The Oath. So, our second part of our podcast is going to be a little less structured, which is horrifying considering how little structured our first ep our part was. But we have read in this week, Doctor Strange the Oath by Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin uh, as kind of our introduction. Our let, Let's look at about not everything we were talking about, because that's way too broad in this one, but uh, to, to get a feel for magic in the Marvel U. This comic first came out in December of 2006. 
mostly came out in 2007. Uh, again, as I mentioned, it was by Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin. When we were first talking about this, we were thinking, man, it's almost too bad we're not doing DC, because DC has a book called The Books of Magic by Neil Gaiman that was literally created to define magic in the DC universe. They immediately ignored it, but, but they it, did it. Yeah, they still set about to be like, they had a, an audience stand-in character that is also essentially Harry Potter, but that's a different discussion. Predating Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that they had a bunch of the, the magic users being like, this is magic. Also, this is magic. This is magic too. There are kind of equivalents. Marvel tried a few times, but honestly, they're not very good because they're not nearly as structured or organized, and none of them were written by Neil Gaiman. But this is the book when people go, man, I kind of, I really like that Doctor Strange movie. Do you have any comic book recommendations? Like, where I would start? And I go, Doctor Strange the Oath. This is where I always start someone when they ask for Doctor Strange. So, since, you know, he is the Marvel magic guy, this seemed like the place to go. Since we just got done laying out all the different kinds of magic, mm-hmm. what examples do we have showing up in this one of some of the different kinds? Aside from the cloak and the amulet, there's Hitler's handgun, which is the only thing I didn't like in this particular comic. That he had Hitler's handgun? No, how he used it just to kill that demon that apparently has eaten all other Sorcerer Supremes before him, and he just shot it. Oh, real quick, this is spoiler territory. We're going to talk about a comic, and if we're going to talk about it, we have to be able to spoil it. Mm-hmm. We will try to recommend to you, as I said, the week or the episode before what the next reading will be, so you can access it if it is something that will interest you. But warning, here be spoilers. Yes, uh, and probably very scattered spoilers. Yes. So do you just think it was too easy, or...? So... He was summoned there from, would he be called a warlock, his opponent? Or is he still a sorcerer of sorts because he was dabbled in the darker arts? Source, I mean, Doctor Strange uses the dark arts, too. He's the mm-hmm. mystic arts dark. It varies. Um, I thought, like, in the beginning, he t- he's, like, he's, like, reading the dark arts. But, like, the other guy is, like, way like into, like, the destructive dark arts. For the most part, anytime Doctor Strange goes too deep into the dark arts, it goes really badly for him. Mm-hmm. So, yes, he, this guy is much... Because he has, like, the different eyes. He's not... Nicodemus is there his name. Go. He yes. uses a much darker form of magic here. And which also, also he's of... named Nicodemus. Yes. Which that is some was... Super Satan references yep, right there. it is. Well, I was going to say that was also just really distracting being a big Dresden fan. But... Same. Uh, same. I was like, wait, your I'm time. I'm like, Nicodemus Archleone. <laughs> he's playing with a coin all the time. <laughs> Yes. Um, but yes, he is summoned. He is supposed to be this incredibly... It, it, it's a... It, a baron of hell, right? It, it, he's summoned it out it's of... It's a demon of some kind. It, it, he's not necessarily a baron of hell because he's not really... He doesn't really seem focused enough no. to be able to but like, he's also, plot or plan. He's felt much more like one of the he's great ones. He's probably an honorary baron. Yeah. They're if, like, if he were to ever give a command, you're supposed to honor it like a baron. But <laughs> but he's, he's mostly probably, too busy being like... Rom, rom, I nom, mean, he, nom. Did, he did eat Sorcerer Supremes in the past, so like he has the ability to kill them. Oh, I am not understating his power. I am saying <laughs> But that. he was shot with a Luger, and he died. And Beliefs... If, Hold power. Also, he did he just 
he just destroys the gun afterwards. The, the whole butterfly scene. Yeah, it's the gun Hitler shot himself with. That's probably not much fun to be around. No. If... Because it seems to be kind of powered by emotion and powered by the, like, thought and belief that people put into this. You know, mm. this is an item of power. Hitler shot himself with it. That can't be fun. The to, emotions to it's channeling yeah. is not great. I mean, the man himself was evil. So that anything evil, he like Kind of as close with. to evil incarnate as you can get in and, human form. Yeah. Um, but, like, I like... I like I like that gun. I like that it exists in the universe. I mean, that's just up my alley personally, but just the way it was handled, like it showed up, they shot Dr. Strange with it. That's cool. It's like the only thing to get through his personal defenses. That makes sense. But then it's evil fighting evil, which happens. I understand that, but it just, it just felt so like they hyped him up. He's eaten my predecessors. I shot him in this giant eye with my shaky hands. Well, we move on. How many of the predecessors own Hitler's handgun? Well, none. <laughs> but I don't know. It just felt like a weird... I don't know. No, that's fair. I that, It's an extremely legitimate critique. It's not one that bothered me, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't count. But like that, that, <laughs> that was the only... Like, the rest of it was amazing. That was just the only thing that kind of irked me reading through it. But that was about it. Brian K. Vaughn, in my opinion, might be one of the greatest comic writers of all time. To me, this story does verge on that edge of the thing that I, I mentioned earlier, where Doctor Strange is a just a touch too powerful when he's actually Sorcerer Supreme, mm. and I think the handgun thing falls into that a little bit, but mm. I thought they did a good job of setting it up by having Brigand have it first, and then they have the whole scene at his place, so I was like, okay, no, that's cool, that's cool. But, yeah, like, he almost died. But, I mean... Yeah, you because, started it with Doctor Strange has been shot. Yeah, because <laughs> Brian K. Vaughn is a good author, he's... Even though parts of the action of this story verge on the fact that Strange is kind of overpowerful he sets it to a time limit he sets it to like there's other people around him that he needs to help mm. which nicodemus is a good way to deal with that kind of character yeah. nicodemus can't beat dr strange on his own but if you add in these other considerations it becomes a much better thing you know nicodemus being in theory the backup dr strange the ancient one trained um <laughs> who who then just dipped, uh, doesn't have nearly the same skill level as Doctor Strange. It wouldn't make sense if he held him to the level, but when you, you know, you still see the amount of damage that he can do with magic and with being a dickbag insurance person. Um, or medical, but I don't know. Pharmaceutical? Yeah, yeah pharmaceutical. That's yep. Timely pharmaceuticals is what it was called. Which is kind of a fun reference. Uh, Marvel, before it was Marvel Comics and before it was Atlas, was Timely Comics. Mm -hmm. So they like to put Timely into various names in Marvel whenever they can. Which I found their driving motives as a board of directors. Half of it was like, I get why you're doing that. And the other half was like, you're not, I'm just going to shoot you. If I see you, like, that doesn't... I don't have to think about it. Uh, so, for description, um, one of the big plots of this is that in an attempt to find a cure for Wong, Doctor Strange's assistant... Uh, I'm going to go with assistant in mm -hmm. this one. Uh, manservant in one thing. And there's actually a comic that makes fun of him. He's Batman. You still call him a manservant? Does Wong know that you call him that? <laughs> uh, but... 
Um, I mean, really, in an attempt long to cure as his Kato. Yeah, it's the best example. Uh, in an attempt to cure his brain cancer, he finds the elixir of Octid, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. Bunch of syllables with like some O vowels in there. Um, that turns out to be the panacea, the cure to all disease. Nicodemus finds out that Doctor Strange has access to this and goes, oh man, we can't let that exist. That will be overpopulation if people stop dying from disease. I'm going to go pour this down the drain. But also, garbage overpopulation is mostly a classist argument. I thought all that was going a different direction and... On the actual subject of mar- magic mm-hmm. in the Marvel Universe, I was going to ask you, Zach, if you knew more on... First off, the way I thought it was going to go was I thought he was trying to get rid of the magic equivalent so they could make the science equivalent. Because it's brought up a few different times throughout the story that magic can't create what science already has. Mm. How much is that followed is it just this story run for Brian K. Vaughn? Do they it's, do that other times? It's not so much that magic can't create what science already has. For example, science can make a person fly. Especially if you have weird Marvel mm-hmm. definitions of science that stretch credulity. But, you know, magic can also make people fly. It can't do it the same way. way. Yeah. For example, you can make a potion of healing, but Doctor Strange can't make... A specific medication or drug. Right. If you have the drug, you might be able to kind of uh, enlarge it, multiply it, whatever. But you can't, like, all right, I'm going to mix acetaminophen and whatever else the hell goes in aspirin and make it, like, make aspirin. Mm -hmm. But I could make a potion of no more headaches. Because the way that was stressed, I thought the story was going... I have to destroy the magic equivalent so that we can make the science equivalent. Which also is an argument I don't feel like holds a bunch of water when you have a bunch of magicians that could be like, yeah, dude, we I'll train magicians to mm-hmm. make more of this. And, you know, they also had the argument that they couldn't accept a gift that had to be earned. That was like another argument they had, yes, which I was like, but if the it's rich savings yeah, are like, the ones making that argument. I feel like they're not the ones no who need it. For it. Like, you can't say it's a gift when other people physically need it, right? That's not, like, an argument you can make. We have to be allowed to progress at our own pace. There are times that I will accept that story. Um, when but there are other times... I think of it as, like, the prime director from Star Trek. I might not be able to give you that thing, but if you get your hands on it, man, you do it. That is you making your own choice. Mm. Doctor Strange going to the other dimension and getting his hands on Otkid's elixir is still humanity getting that at their own pace, just doing it in a very kind of Prometheus sort of style. I did kind of feel like this was also a story. DC has to do this every once in a while with Swamp Thing, where I felt like this was them explaining why magic doesn't just solve these things. Because like DC every once in a while, every 10 years or so has to explain why Swamp Thing can't just solve global warming. Mm. Why can't Swamp Thing just solve global warming? It depends what storyline you've ah, read. one of those! Okay. Uh, one of the big things, though, especially post-New 52, would be him using his power in that way for the green would be a declaration of war on the other kingdoms. Ah, yes. Super dangerous. 
there is a definite balance. Magic has a cost isn't used nearly as heavily in this storyline, but even then you have to be careful how you go about things. Because if you're not careful, you could, you know, cure all of Earth's ills. But the cost of that could end up being the Earth, because that's a big old thing, so a big old cost. Mm -hmm. I also liked how dreams were, like, in a parallel, like, string. So, like, they're all shared. So, like, you could just go there and go to the area where that one guy is dreaming, and it's, like, his area. So, like, when he confronted, uh, was it Brigand? Brigand, yeah. In his dream area, it wasn't in his head. It was just in the other dimension, and they had, like, that weird battle there. God, a David Eddings book I read talked about the difference between the mind and the brain for cases of things like magic. That definitely qualifies here, kind of the mindscape. Uh, DC has a similar with the dreaming. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, if you go into, I think it's Aborigine legend that has the dream time. And the dream time does exist in DC as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Separate from the dreaming, although arguably it's probably a province of the dreaming. Again, it's definitions. <laughs> it, it struck me as a very like Jungian slash Cthulhu esque like version of like what dreams are. Like we all share a similar area. In that section, I just I, I want to draw a uh, quick attention to the visual choices of that section because that's a super Doctor Strangey look of those like weird pathways floating through space. That is Steve Ditko at his most Steve Ditko, uh, who was the original artist and co-plotter of Doctor Strange and a very difficult human being by all standards. Mac, going into this story, how much did you know of Doctor Strange? Watched the movie. Okay. That was it. So I I vaguely knew his origin story, but the movie doesn't go over... uh, him making those enemies, it just it glosses over the fact that he's screwed over all those people, mm-hmm. and there is no side effects in the movie for that. And here it's like that guy hates you, and then because he hates you, your friend that saved you became your enemy. Like, but that didn't happen in the movie. Nope, th- I think that is relatively unique to this story that it wanted to really examine. We always know that Doctor Strange is an elitist. We always know that he used to be even really worse. terrible, <laughs> like. Elitist to the point that he was a bad person. And they drive that home at the start of every chapter. Like, he was, like, a horrible narcissist. That's the first sentence and like, every beginning of every chapter. is like, yeah, we get it. He was terrible. <laughs> uh, but here we see what the cost of that was. Not just like, oh, I'd only work for rich patients. This is a, the first time I can think of that they really show the poor patients that got turned away. Mm. And, I mean, Pavlish sucked, but, like... The characters come up so intermittently. Which night nurse is this? (laughs) This night nurse was created by, I think created by Brian Bendis and Alex Maleev. Okay. Night nurse was originally a comic. In the 60s and 70s, Marvel didn't just do superheroes when romance comics were still uh, more popular, when various other kind of like more directly soap opera e-comics about three nurses that just worked the night shift, and it was called Night Nurse. Hmm. Sounds like a bad sitcom. but um, or, as, or a porn, as they mentioned in this one. Hey! And in much the same way of the money pit of, you know, bringing Dracula into the Marvel Universe, putting the Night Nurses in the Marvel Universe was a way to try to boost sales. Didn't work, but they tried it. 
Uh, and the idea sort of existed from there on out. Claire Temple, Temple. who is combined with the Night Nurse in like Daredevil and uh, all the Marvel Netflix movies, is uh, kind of served as the Night Nurse in some cases. Jane Foster, the uh, romantic interest of Thor in the early stories, often served as like the go-to doctor person mm-hmm. for this. But Brian Bendis, I think, who just liked the name came up with the idea of this night nurse, who I don't remember. Do they ever actually give them her name in this? No, that's why I, I, that's why I was doubly curious, to um, see if you could remember. I always want to call her Claire because of... Because Gary of Rosario. Devil. Yeah, and Rosario Dawson playing it, man. Like, that's a hard one to beat right there. He created her in, when he, in his Daredevil run as literally everything you see here. She was saved by a hero, and in a way to pay them back, opened up her own clinic where heroes can come and get all of the medical aid that they need without losing their identity. Does that Daredevil TV series touch upon her? Is that is that his girlfriend nurse? Yes. Okay. Basically the same character that Rosario Dawson plays in that. Got it. Mm-hmm. I do think it's funny whenever they do stuff like this, because like Jane Foster was originally a nurse. She's a nurse here. But they end up becoming, like, the greatest medical mind on the planet from the number of things that, from a plot perspective, they need them to be able to fix. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's okay. She just happens to know heart surgery. It's no big deal. She's the medical <laughs> Sort of, yeah. <laughs> the medic, oh, I'm trying to think of a M starting um, letter for, or word for this. Medicinal supreme. No, but like medicinal major, Uh, medicinal major. Yes, that's what we'll go with. Uh, (laughs) General hat and everything. (laughs) Um, Strange was taunting him a little bit with this. So I'm wondering how true it might be. But uh, once again, on the magic side of things, this seemed to imply that uh, Disney's sword in the stone wizard's duel is a thing. Basically... Thanks to power of story, it, it is. could be. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Um, the the concept of wizard duels can go. You know, we're just flinging energy at each other, or really wild ways of balancing each other. It kind of just depends on whatever is the right tool for Strange to use. He tends to have very specific spells. The the crimson bands of Cytorak that is used here. Mm-hmm. The um, <laughs> what's funny about that? I like how he just stands there, listens to his monologue. He's like, "Yeah, I'm done," and he pushes him away. <laughs> you rank amateur. <laughs> well, Nicodemus is like, "I was trained by the ancient one too," but he didn't hang out for it. He didn't do they, any of the work required, so he picked up just enough. I mean, that's in Nicodemus's entire story. He picked up just enough to cause trouble. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting villain, but if it's going to go to a real wizard duel, come on, Strange is not going to... He's a hundred times more powerful than your regular person, Mm -hmm. but Strange is a hundred times more powerful than him. Yeah, but you're still Dr. freaking Strange. Yeah. Any more interest in Dr. Strange after having read this? Oh, that's a good way of... Yes. Uh, I find that his approach to magic is fascinating i've come from a background of like high fantasy so wheel of time is like my favorite fantasy series okay that is very much a fleshed out system there are things you can do and can't do and there's reasons why and they're all explored but here he just it's like this he has this knowledge that you can never 
hope to possibly understand in the comic series, and they use that to to their advantage writing it. You just kind of have to trust that he is the expert because he's the Sorcerer Supreme. So he'll pull out all this random knowledge, and it is it's, it's fascinating to see how it's actually applied in the story. Because there's not one defined magic system, what you can do becomes so much more broad. Like that thing I was mentioning before when Brother Voodoo was like, he's the Sorcerer Supreme. We are not exaggerating when we use that term. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, you know, I am the greatest voodoo practitioner possibly in history. I might be better at voodoo than Doctor Strange is, but I'm not. Like, I, that's I don't, it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. I can touch him on that. He's got everything else. And that, with the knowledge you gain with Sorcerer Supreme, even that would be questionable. Yeah. And and just like the avenues of communication. I have to imagine you'd be able to contact the the law a lot easier as Sorcerer Supreme. The reason (laughs) that I would give, you know, there might be someone who knows a specific brand of magic better than, say, Doctor Strange is because Doctor Strange has to look into more types of magic Mm -hmm. while Brother Voodoo does voodoo. Yeah. You know, this, uh, Agatha Harkness, who is a witch, does witchcraft. Like, she doesn't have to worry about everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much the only way, though, as a sorcerer to really match Doctor Strange's power is to not be entirely human yourself. The Ghost Rider might be more powerful than Doctor Strange when the Spirit of Vengeance is unleashed. Uh, Damien Hellstrom, Son of Satan... Never not use that full name, by the way. Uh, Can match Doctor Strange's power, but can't match his knowledge base. But it helps that he's the literal son of a demon. Also, like, cosmic level things. Mm -hmm. And especially the ones that cross over into magic. Mm -hmm. If you're going, like, Thor powered up by the Odin Force. Or, take it even bigger, Eternity, who Mm -hmm. is just cosmic. Like, whether he's magic or science doesn't really matter. He's Eternity, who he is the physical manifestation of everything. Doc Strange doesn't have a chance against Eternity. But that's because he's part of Eternity. Like, God, it gets really confusing, guys. I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> we'll have an entire episode where I fail to explain that. Is there anything that came up that you're still curious about in this that we might be able to answer? The exact why does he need a manservant? What's the like aside from the <laughs> aside from the fact that he you can see him in like the first few pages like physically protecting him when he's disposed? I uh, like what other purposes? Because it seems like an archaic thing. Because he the cares original, about the manservant. The original answer is racism. If we're being a hundred percent honest. Here. Yes, because it was a uh, doctor. Doctor Wong directly inspired from Cato. Is he from that little trope from that time period? Doctor Strange definitely tracks into a whole lot of like old school dime novels and pulp novels and stuff like that, where it was really common, especially if you gained mystical knowledge from the Orient, which, Mm. oof, guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank God they don't really talk about that. They at least are honest. Tibet. He went to Tibet. Um, (laughs) Exactly here. Was to come back. With a manservant, you know, a valet. Uh, uh, Cato was the valet. Mm-hmm. Uh, a butler. Uh, a Batman. The spider had one. Um, all, all sorts of these characters had them. Batman had Alfred, but it was the same idea without the racism. 
um, as your backup, who just so happened to be Asian, who was also your butler or also whatever. And they have struggled with what to do with Wong because one, it is nice for them to have, it is nice for Doctor Strange to have a backup character and it makes perfect sense mm. that he needs someone a little more touched in reality mm. to make sure that he stays alive. <laughs> Beyond just like physically defending him, Doctor Strange would forget to eat and probably die if there wasn't Wong. Like, a lot of times when Wong gets done dealing with Doctor Strange's crap, it goes really badly for Doctor Strange. Um, they've done a lot more to separate the two of them in more recent years. Because, again, there's something super problematic about, oh, my Asian butler. To sort of tie in with the fact that he wouldn't, like, there's times he definitely wouldn't eat. In, I think in all general terms, you can also think of the fact that the personality types of the people that become the most powerful magician or the most learned sorcerer probably require a servant of some sort. Or somebody to help them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Doc Strange never stops being a raging egotist, so he's probably a little more comfortable having a servant. And even though he is, I mean, you can see through this entire thing, Wong is his like, favorite person on this earth. Mm. But they definitely have the, like, boss-servant relationship. And I think that's what Marvel has been trying to do away with mm. in recent years. Because uh, it's probably not a great thing that possibly your most recognizable Asian character is a manservant. That's fair. I also liked that he just randomly explores supernatural findings. Like, people will call him out, like, hey, we don't know what's going on here. And he just goes and explores. Kind of like in the Dresden series, it's higher amount. I like that. And I kind of hope that there's a comic that just address that, like little one-offs. He wasn't the Sorcerer Supreme when he first appeared. Mm. He was the student of the Sorcerer Supreme. And I don't even think they used that term for a while. They didn't. Doctor Strange's origin story didn't pop up until... Somewhere between issues like five to ten. Mm. The early first ones were like, look at this haunted house. Let's call in Doctor Strange. <laughs> um, awesome. So, yes. he. These days we tend to look at him much more as like protecting dimensions and stuff. But sometimes you have to go deal with that haunted house. Because that house is killing people and you got to look after your dimension. Especially when you're Doctor Strange who actually cares about crap like that. Mm. Right. And... Conchu isn't always going to send Moon Knight. No, and honestly, it'll probably go worse for you if he does. Yeah. <laughs> Moon Knight's a hero that you really don't want to interact with if you can absolutely help it. Um, How often... Not even his own fault. No. <laughs> Bad things happen. How often does the current Sorcerer Supreme train the predecessor? Because I feel like that is actually a rare occurrence. It varies partly because the history of the Sorcerer Supreme is, surprise, surprise, really poorly defined. They don't have a, this one trained this one, this one trained this one. Uh, the Ancient One, who actually has a real name that I do not, Kamartaj, I think, something like that. Um, I'll have it, it'll come up in next week's reading, because we decided what next week's reading is in between our break here. It was Sorcerer Supreme off and on for centuries. So I think he trained multiple ones. Mm. And also, that was one of... I have been doing this for so long, and I know the end is coming. Let's 
uh, let's prep for that as opposed to, whoops, that one got eaten. Guess someone else is the Sorcerer Supreme now. <laughs> uh, so I think if you can, you're training your replacements, but it it doesn't always happen. Wouldn't that imply that you're, the person you're training would have to surpass you in power for that to be possible? Or can you just bestow upon them, like, now you, I retire, you have the mantle, good luck, I'm out of here. Well, I mean, you might kick the bucket, and suddenly they do, or they might surpass you. Or in the case of the Ancient One, you transcend the physical plane and aren't really human anymore. That's true. more of an idea. I mean, literally, the Ancient One doesn't die. He Stargate SG-1 ascends, basically. Like, I'm a being of energy now. Cool, you're not the Sorcerer Supreme anymore, because the Sorcerer Supreme is a mortal being. Mortal being. Usually. Usually. Again, Loki had to cheat. <laughs> Loki had to cheat. That's what he does, so I mean. Yeah, it is yeah. Loki. <laughs> and we will definitely talk a lot more about the kind of details of how Doctor Strange works more next episode. Next well. episode. But, I mean, please, questions. That's why we're here. Yes. Or if there are none, we can also talk about what we will be talking about next episode. Next week! <laughs> In case you haven't noticed, we will be talking about Doctor Strange himself in a much more focused uh, way. We will be reading Doctor Strange by Mark Wade, uh, the 2018 series. He also did a previous series with Emma Rios in like 2012. It was okay. This is his most recent one. Um, I don't have the name of the artists on top of me because he goes through a couple of them. I do enjoy that the Doctor Strange story that... I've read so far. Uh, it was very willing to tackle darker subjects, which I did not expect going in. I I have had this aside from like comics that are like obviously made for like adults, like zombies, heroes eating each other, and then you mm -hmm. see them like like obviously made for adults. I just assumed that a lot of them would like kind of sidestep tougher subjects just to be more entertaining. So I really enjoyed that they tackled like if we cure all disease, all humans will die type of thing because no one will have food. And then, I mean, I continue to think that argument is crap, but yeah, which which is fair. <laughs> but like, I have, I was happy they actually tackled that subject instead of just be like, they're bad. He defeats them. That guy summoned a demon. Older comics did that a lot more, um, but in the eighties, they re I mean, they started a little earlier, but mm -hmm. the eighties is really when they started diving into we can tackle tougher subjects. Mm -hmm. And always do it great. But they try. Which, which is, is a good start, yeah. Okay, you're right. There's a ton of artists that yes. go through this run. Uh, Jesus Saiz. Is the main one. Is the main one. Uh, we have uh, Javier Pina. Uh, South America has been having a real explosion of comic book artists in the awesome. last like 20 years. And they tend to be great. A lot. There's yeah, a lot. A lot. We'll, we'll get to that. Here. We can discuss that more when we talk about that comic run. Uh, if you enjoyed this run, I am going to recommend Saga by Brian K. Vaughn. It is the greatest comic book I've ever read in my life. And I read a lot of comic books, if you haven't noticed by now, so I know of what I speak. Brian K. Vaughn does do another comic. Uh, he's been doing creator of for the last 10 years with Marcos Martin. I haven't read it, so I can't recommend it beyond the fact that, as you can see here, these two are absolute professionals with their craft. Mm -hmm. So why was Nicodemus... So they mention on the trip over to the lair of Brigand 
that they thought it was a different sorcerer at first, whom they assumed would be dead because apparently the dark arts kill you after a while. Like they give oh they, they gave Baron Mordo cancer. Yeah. Um, he Mordo was a student of the Sorcerer Supreme of the Ancient One as well. Mm. They he trained with Doctor Strange in the demonic arts. Well, I mean, originally just in the dark in the mystic arts, and then he went much more dark sorcerer, making deals with Dormammu kind of thing. So when Doctor Strange was recognizing the, basically like, my teacher's hand is in this. Like, I, I'm recognizing the magic as something that the Ancient One taught. Mm. He went, well, clearly it's Dor- uh, uh, not as um, Mordo, mm-hmm. because Mordo was the other student of the Ancient One. So mm. it must be Mordo. And then it wasn't because... Nicodemus. Nicodemus, and he didn't know about it. And is that why his eyes are in that way? Because he's been dealing with the demonic arts as well? This affects you physically? I don't know. I would have to look if he had that before. Mm. In his, Because we do get flashbacks of seeing him before he ever learns magic. And he had like a normal everything. His eyes were fine. Did he? Yeah. Okay, in that case, then yes, almost certainly. Because he's a rank amateur who started dealing with things he doesn't understand. That makes me question if he left of his own volition or if he was actually kicked out because Mordo went through there. And so his teacher probably recognized the same trends that Um, he was doing. And so he's like, just go. I don't want to teach a second. In the comic, he mentions that he dipped in his own right, that he was like, I don't know why I'm using dipped every time. But uh, But he could be lying. Yes, he could be. That is absolutely a thing. This is the only time Nicodemus has ever appeared that Mm -hmm. I am aware of. Okay. So and then he probably died. All we, I mean, he does die at the end of this. I mean, he <laughs> could come back, but really, if you're gonna bring a sorcerer back to life, I don't feel a strong need for it to be Nicodemus. No, I mean, he in his astral projection, he's like, "This is my final astral projection before I move on." And then he mentions that he may not, he may not be going to hell after all because he thinks his good deeds may have outweighed his bad deeds. And then that's it. Which I also found interesting that they don't condemn him to an absolute fate. It's left gray, which it would be in real life, too, because he did try to help people at the beginning, which is why he got here. It is he was misled. Well, he even argued to himself that he was helping people throughout it the whole time. The uh, he parallels Doctor Strange in a lot of ways. I mean, beyond just like learning magic to try and fix Doc Strange instead of trying to fix himself. But the difference is Doctor Strange was willing to put in the time and effort. Mm -hmm. And as egotistical as Doctor Strange is about himself he he doesn't bullcrap himself in the same way that nicodemus does about almost everything Mm -hmm. like oh i was such a terrible surgeon and that's why no you weren't like doc strange just was in a really nasty accident that wasn't your fault oh it was the magic that messed up all of these people no, it was you because you didn't take the time to learn (laughs) and then blew up a person which was amazing, by the way. <laughs> Which yeah, had a very scientific explanation. It's just, oh yeah, we, we uh, hyperacted his white blood cells and then he just exploded because his white blood cells ate him. That is the fun thing about Doctor Strange is he is magic, but he is also one of, even if he can't do it anymore, one of the greatest neurosurgeons alive. Mm. Like he, he knows the human body backwards and forwards. It's part of the reason why he's probably so dangerous. Mm. I think that's what I got, unless you have any more questions. I got nothing. Okay. Why did... Oh, you do have more. Ooh. Why did... Ooh. Uh, night, night Nurse? Night Nurse. Night Nurse. Why did Night Nurse just... Why, like, is that a thing that he just dates Night Nurse for a while? 
at the end of the comic book? Um, it does happen for a little... It happens... You see it one or two more places. Mm-hmm. Doc Strange didn't have a running book after this of his own for a while, mm-hmm. so it didn't really come up much. He joins the Avengers shortly after this, which is funny because he has the line, this is why I never joined the Avengers in this book. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. Also, you founded the Defenders, so really you don't get to judge too much. Um, the Defenders are even less organized than the Avengers. I liked that uh, he thought he still might have his Defenders insurance. <laughs> yeah. They are shown as a couple for a while, and then it collapses because relationships collapse for whatever reason. We never really see why, mm. which is okay because that means that you can bring them back and maybe they still like each other. Or maybe, like, if someone has a storyline where that would matter for it, you can use it then. Mm-hmm. But it went on for a while, but I can only think of, like, one or two other issues where it was really a thing. Do you think he would have ever taken that drop and not saved... I, what is Wong? Wong, uh, not saved Wong, because he he could have easily just multiplied what he had, and saved the masses. The Hippocratic Oath is very important to him, but that's also to everyone else. That can go both ways. You could have used that to say, "I have to save these people too," because I am okay. Sorcerer but Supreme. part of the Hippocratic Oath is I will not knowingly cost a person their life. Mm he would be actively condemning Wong to death Doc- if he... Huh? Doc- doctors do that still. There's a point where professionally you're like, it's just not worth it. We have to stop. It's not going to actually help. Which Yes, is- but that's like, this isn't going to make him... Like, you know, we have to stop because we don't have the ability to save him. He has the ability to save Wong right there. Mm-hmm. That's different than like... We could try this, but in the end, it's not going to do any good. Mm. Like, at some point, you give up chemotherapy because chemotherapy is just making it worse. Mm. This is not going to just make it worse. It's... I think part of it, he does take the Hippocratic Oath incredibly seriously. Also, I I should not comment on how the Hippocratic Oath works, especially to you, who has actual training in doctory things, (laughs) and I'm a failed art student. (laughs) But I I think that's part of the reason why the storyline is called The Oath, is because... We keep getting, as you pointed out earlier, almost every single one of the issues starts with at least a little bit of a flashback of back when he used to be terrible. Mm. And I think there's a point, and I think there's a point in his relationship with Wong where he would have made the other call. It's about how he's going to interpret the oath. Mm. It's not about what the oath actually says, it's about how he decides to go about it. And the story is showing both sides of how he used to go about it, how people who go about it the same way tend to end up, and how he's changed now. Mm. And I think part of the way that they show that he's changed now is that he doesn't always have to be the master. He's now also learning martial arts from Wong. Oh, yeah, at the end. Where he mm-hmm. get I love cool. that. That's so good. <laughs> um, that entire scene... Where it's not a great fight scene, but it's just so well done, and the tension has been ranked so high at that point that it feels very satisfying. Mm-hmm. And I mean, really, the growth, like, he made the arguments before, oh, I do more good helping my rich clients and screw the little guy. Wong is, in a lot of ways, sort of the ultimate little guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the stand-in for the way that he views it now. Mm-hmm. And you can make a real argument that Doc Strange made... The wrong choice. And I think that's a really legitimate way of looking at this story. 
but also at the same time, you can't introduce the panacea into an ongoing universe. Have that Be work. Okay. Like, it's, it's just... Like I said, this is also one of those stories where they explain why magic just doesn't cure disease in the Marvel Universe every couple of years. Because mm. you can't put that genie back in the bottle at some point, or you have to put that genie back in the bottle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does the board ever show up again? Or are they just permanently dismantled because of what Night Nurse gave to, like... They're faceless pieces of crap who are, yeah, making but, decisions based off money as opposed to saving people. There's, like, um, two in particular that are shown in multiple panels. Like, the woman and the, and the... Yeah, but we never even really see their face. We never they, get their... Like, I know there's specific ones, but yeah. we don't get, like, that's Janet. But, like, they know where they learned their magic. Like, they followed him there, and they know what he did. And that's, that's how they're blackmailing him. So, like, they're aware of this other universe that they coincide with. Here is the rule of comic books. There is always a shadowy organization that has more knowledge than you <laughs> yes, expect. Yes. I mean, it, they could have been part of Hydra if they wanted it to be. Like, that's... Uh, and that's also kind of just a, a writing thing of leaving yourself breadcrumbs. Mm. If Brian K. Vaughn ever wants to use them again, he, he has this setup now. Otherwise, they're generic, shadowy organization that... Got hit by the IRS and they're in jail. Mm-hmm. Also, magic has existed since before recorded history in this point. And the ancient one was the Sorcerer Supreme off and on for like five centuries. Mm. So it makes sense that there are people who have picked up on it is. before. Beyond just like the specific like four sorcerers. Got it. Any last questions? I think that's it. All right. We have no idea how to end this one. So join us again next week for... Doctor Strange, as we already said. Um, That's right. We're going to... I mean, we'd already talked about Doctor Strange some here, although it was a little bit more Sorcerer Supreme-y. We'll do, go Strange Strange. Much more specifically into the good Doctor himself. Uh, we are your Professor Z and T. This is the subject. Mac? Yeah, keep, keep calling yourself that subject. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Byland. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.